You may not be able to spy the lie, but you can spot a bad liar. There are indicators and things we have talked about in the past and some more we'll talk about today to identify a bad liar. Maybe you're not too good at single pinpoint piece of deception and identifying whether or not it had an influence. What's my environmental factors? What's all these other things? But there are certain patterns, certain behaviors where you can identify a bad liar. And I got to tell you, I don't care who you do or don't trust in the news. Using some of these techniques might change your opinion about the people anyway. They communicate visually on the news, like a newscaster, where you go, wow, I really love this place, but this dude's a bad liar. And then you go look at another one if you have that kind of discipline and you go, yeah, I always thought these guys were bad. They probably are, but this one individual, not really a bad liar. Or you might say they're a good liar, you know, because bias and everything. So we're going to answer the question, what are the indicators of bad liar and how do I spot them? And in case you're wondering, a pickup artist, a real pickup artist who's full of it, that's actually a pretty good liar because that shit works. Doesn't mean it's going to work on you though. So bad liars get away with things and good liars sometimes don't. And this is always a good skill and habit to identify and add on to your situational awareness when you're out in public and dealing with people and trying to identify who you can talk to. Or is that person really going to try to lie to me? So bad liars, that's what we're going to talk about right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight. People always think it's honesty and integrity is why guys get caught or can't get away with lying. Well, no, if they had those things, they probably wouldn't try to lie, except for like little kids. But most people that are going to lie actually don't know when they're going to have to do it. Even when they're prepared, they don't always know. Yeah, sometimes we see these things where somebody's got to go lie to somebody to keep their job, and that's part of the TV show script, and they know it. But most of the time, we actually don't know when it's going to happen. Or even if we know it's going to happen, we know it will happen, but we don't know when. And so we can't prepare, and our emotions betray us and give us away, and we have all these other signs of deception. The other reason, too, is lack of preparation. Lack of preparation could be not even knowing that it's going to happen or preparing for when it does, but let's say it's like the first one. You know it's happening. You prepare for it, but you don't know when it's going to happen. Well, with proper preparation, that wouldn't even matter. You'd be emotionally prepared to the point that when, whenever and wherever you got challenged, you could tell that story accurately and correctly with the proper deception to get away with it. But that requires practice and even rehearsals. And I got to tell you, not everybody does that, especially rehearse it. You know, you see the one, let's get our story straight. Yeah, that's uh, that's not really a rehearsal. That's a let's get our story straight. Rehearsal would be having the conversation with each other about their prepared stories and ideas to see the possible ways that would be asked questions by the people who are going to talk to them and figuring out what deceptions can they give and not give to get away with this lie. Sometimes people just don't memorize things. Now, memorizing especially with rehearsal, can set you in a pattern of behaviors and actions like I have previously talked about with sometimes with presidents and other people who follow certain illustrator patterns, can give you away, but not always. So while memorization can betray you, the more rehearsed it is, especially if you're going up against somebody experienced who can figure out whether or not you're telling her story, sometimes just not memorizing the right facts or details that you need and placing them in the proper location will get you caught. And then even when you do memorize it, some people just can't get outside that format. You know, one of the things they dealt with, we dealt with Shia terrorists in Iraq. And one of the interesting things about them was they had very well rehearsed stories. 
So the width, the breadth of their stories and the details that went along with it were massive. But if you could keep them on point long enough, which could be difficult sometimes, to go a little deeper with some follow-up questions, you'd figure out how much of it's made up because they couldn't do it. They had a format, and then when they got caught, they just shut down and they didn't know what to do because they really believed that we would believe them. Whereas with the Sunni terrorist insurgents we spoke to, yeah, they had a story almost too narrow and seemed fake, and you could go miles deep on the thing, and they knew everything. And when they were lies, they had rehearsed them quite well. We do some repeating control questions, kind of hit those from the angles, a slight bit of width change to it, nothing major. You'd find out really quick if this was a rehearsed story or not. But once they leave that format, they don't know what to do. It's that inconsistency. They're counting on the format to be followed. So no matter how much of these other steps they've already followed, figure out what format somebody's trying to follow. Figure out what they're really trying to drive home and repeat to you to get you to believe, almost like they're trying to convince themselves. Identify the format, get outside of it. Get outside that format, it's going to throw them off. Of course, the worst one about bad liars, especially when they stick to the story, is when the other person already knows. Now, we always act like this where people say, well, I know, and you don't. But this is a case of something very clear and very specific. Two plus two is four, and they're trying to convince you it's five, but you know it's four, and you can prove it. Those are the situations we're looking at, where they will keep going and keep going and keep going. And typically that's, like I said, comes with evidence. You know, they witnessed it. They read about it. They were present. The other person didn't know. They have multiple witness testimony, which might suggest that you know what the truth is, but those people could be lying too. Or they have like audio and video surveillance. So think of like law enforcement. There's techniques they use about, well, you know, we pretty much know everything or we know everything already, but you know, it's going to help you out a lot if you say this, or we just want to get your side of the story. They're going for an admission. They probably don't have enough, Right. But what if they actually show it to you? All we're going to charge you through is breaking and entering. We don't have the information to charge you anything else. Here's a video. Here's you breaking. There's you entering. If it was that clear, that would make sense. But let's say it's not a police investigation. You're just talking to your mama, your friend, whoever it is, and you're trying to lie. This goes into the point of understanding when I've talked about talking to sources before, debriefing, or when we recruit assets, is trying to become an expert in certain fields to get on their side or to get information from them but making sure we understand everything about them to such a degree that we're not going to walk into this trap and try to pull off that we're somebody we're not or try to convince them of something they know better to make sure the best of our ability we know more than they realize they even know so we don't fall into this trap. Even with a rehearsed liar, one of the hardest things for people to do, and this goes into, I've talked before about strategizing, any important conversation I have, typically I have to drive to it. And while I'm driving to it, I'll role play it in my head part of rehearsal, but it's to prepare myself for important conversations. I don't want to miss a question that I need to ask. Sometimes I'll take notes for it. You know, I don't want to miss opportunities. Or if I know the person, oh, this is how I typically say this, but would that go over well, communicate effectively? I plan for it. That's part of my rehearsal. But what I'm really doing is anticipating questions and reactions and follow-ups and how I'm going to respond to them. And that's part of the plan. Bad liars, they don't do that. They don't even know what questions are coming. So especially when they know you, one of the things you got to be able to do is not only ask questions outside of different patterns and get them outside of their comfort zone and get them outside of that pre-rehearsed format you think might be there. You see how different I sound right now? I had to take a break. And I apologize on any of the recent past and next few recordings. I had to get up in the middle of the night here because I'm on an Air Force base because of these F-35s flying around. 
Then there's the wind, people coming to work. It's been chaos trying to plan to do these recordings. I'm actually got up in the middle of the night and had several prepared podcasts that I've just recorded back to back to back without editing. So I can sit down all day when noise doesn't matter and do the editing. So that's part of the reason why my voice changed right now is I just took a break for like a half hour waiting for these winds to die down and my awnings not to fly away. So going further into the story, here's other things that don't help bad liars. One is that facts get discovered later. This is very common in things like investigations. Probably have seen those at some point where even if their bad lying was effective, then it comes back to bite them in the ass because somebody discovered information later that this person was lying about. That's through the process of an investigation. Think of it like cheating. You cheat on a woman, she's going to investigate. So make sure you know what you're doing. But the thing is, rehearsed stories are often too perfect. Now, really skilled person can make planned mistakes, the correct ones, the correct way, without being too obvious, and have the right vague descriptions to appear to be truthful. Very common technique I've used, as well as manipulating people with body language, to make my lies or misleading statements come across correctly. I did this a lot when I was interrogating or working with sources and debriefing people when it was necessary in order to get them on my side, especially when time constraints were an issue. This was kind of one of the things that I don't think special skills is the right way to put it, but it's something I was better at than most people that some didn't even consider could be done. That was very effective when needed, but not something I could do consistently all the time over the long term, especially with the same individual. Continuing on about those mistakes, honest stories tend to have minor mistakes, tend to have some vague differences of no real significance. And it's figuring out which one of those to use when you're a bad liar to make it a better lie. And most people can't do that. That's part of the planning process and rehearsals. And it's knowing that these insignificant things, that the times they happen in a story is usually during the most complex and detailed descriptions that need to be given in the story. This is part of the reason why, regardless of what law enforcement is doing, when somebody's even inside the street retelling their version of events, so say this car wreck they saw, because they just saw it, it's fresh in their mind, they're telling a story to law enforcement, they're trying to help out, there will be differences, even down to little words that they use. It's looking for the consistency of the story and making sure that they, you know, did you recollect something, did your adrenaline calm down and figure something out, and they can kind of tell, you get the idea what little minor changes may or may not be significant. Another thing is people's actions will often contradict emotion. So we've talked about fake smiling before, um, even a couple years ago, how your ocular muscles get involved. And when those aren't involved, it's a fake smile. So we can see body language that contradicts actual emotions. People can use things like illustrators and body language trying to tell the story, make it like they're trying to complete their thought, but do it in a way where it comes across as honesty but they don't have the emotional support of that statement. Or sometimes they're trying, like somebody who's trying to be strong and confident, but hold back those tears. Their actions are contradicting those emotions. It doesn't mean it's deception all the time, but it's something to look forward to, or to see is, are their actions contradicting the emotions they're displaying or trying to hide? Now, the most common things are especially happening with the inexperienced. So we think young people, but it's mostly inexperienced. One is feeling of guilt which can be put on them to a point by authority figure or parental figure putting feelings of guilt or suspicion on somebody could make them, as I've said before, show signs of deception because they feel guilty or they have a fear of being caught or that every time this person talks to them in this way, they know they're going to get smacked. 
they have that fear and it displays things and makes it look bad when it's really not. It's actually about the fear. And there we go. Another break. Hold on. Had a little Reveille playing in the background. A little bit of a call in the morning here on the military base. One of the other things is body language will betray that person. And one of the very common ones is displaying that they're happy their lie worked or they believed it worked. So they make a statement and afterwards they smile. Usually a big noticeable smile they don't even realize they're doing. And that smile's out of place, not just for the conversation, but for that statement. That's them showing they're happy that the lie worked or that they convinced you, even though they have no indication that they did. I had a doctor do this to me in the VA. I used to do, I used to make him feel terrible. I just straight up like, dude, you're a liar. And I explained to him why. And he'd get backed in the corner and didn't want to do it. And he was very upset. But he would do that all the time. So that's the thing. Look for that smile after the statement that makes no sense for what's there. You know, and, let, and sometimes people do it in jest, just as they're joking and playing around with you. But that's something we're talking about. Of course, that can be a good way to tell how that person lies. Who does it in jest, they're going to mimic those behaviors when they're doing it for real. Another thing that goes to lack of rehearsal, but speaks to a high amount of practice, is somebody has told a lie that's worked before, then will work again. They believe it will work again, and eventually they get caught. They don't practice. They practice it by the fact they've done it in the past, therefore it has worked, but they don't keep rehearsing that. Don't keep factoring in different changes, distance, where they're at, time frames, environment, different people. They just, the lies worked, therefore it will always work, and that's a flaw. A common way that I get over this with people is just call them out on it, whether it's worked for them or not. But sometimes I can tell it's something they've done before, and usually it's followed by that little smile. And just things like, did, did you really think that was going to work? And it throws them off. They're like, what? They're like, you just said this. Like, it's an obvious lie for seven, eight different indicator reasons you've displayed here. I'm just, it, it's kind of funny. Like, it reminds me of how susceptible people are to deception, how much they look for goodwill in people, because it's so obvious a lie, and it's so terribly given haven't practiced it that much but it's clearly worked for you because you keep trying again and i'm just i'm curious as to why why did you think that was going to work on me of all people like going way overboard with showing them that they're caught and i've only done it when i know for sure i've caught them another one that happens this is can happen with investigators it's happened with people that i've interrogated is their belief on your ability to detect deception and typically that comes up a lot when you tell them you have some skill and ability or it's just a belief they have, like investigators of law enforcement that think they're really good at their jobs don't have a reason to believe somebody can identify their deception, which, which is foolish. Really trained interrogators have people who straight up tell them, you're lying, I can detect deception, I can do what you do. And then you have to go determine whether or not that's true, but the people that foolishly believe it will get suckered in. The bad liar just believes a person can't do it. Now, one of the reasons we get away with lying to people that are younger than us is believing they can't tell. We see it where people just straight up lie to kids. Now, not in good fun, like the moon's made of cheese, or not to protect them from dangerous information, but when we just straight up lie to lie to get away with something or talk ourselves out of it or, well, you know, however we do it, that's just what I said, you know, whatever like that. But then later on, as they get older and a little wiser, realizing that that doesn't work anymore. Part of it is convincing people you can tell they're lying that will catch people up. Parents do this to children all the time or authority figures like teachers will do it to students that they can tell that I know you're lying. Now that could be bad on them for having presumptions of why they believe that to be true that could really screw them up. But 
by instilling that fear, a person that's lying done the right way will mess up. But there's a fine balance there between, did they mess up because they have a fear of lying and they don't want to get, you know, they screw up their lie? Or are they doing things because they're just straight up fearful and believe this is going to happen to them no matter how truthful they are? And the reason why is because fear will make a truthful person show many signs of deception. And so you have to identify by having other observers where it looks like you're identifying deception and got them and doing everything right. But then that observer goes, yeah, everything looks good except for one thing. You scared the crap out of them and they were instilled with fear. So we can't count on any of that information. And that's because there has been studies and people and people like me with experience and tell you, I think it's impossible. I don't think you can tell, a person can tell. There's studies that back this up. You just can't tell the difference between deceptive paper. Sorry. Oh, that's getting me a lot today because I'm talking a lot. You can't tell the difference between deceptive behavior from somebody who's lying and deceptive behavior from somebody who's in fear. Because the deceptive behaviors that people just, they show just like anything else are patterns and behaviors for that individual. For example, you see this deceptive behavior on person, right? And you've seen it in 10 other people, but they, they're not exact. They're the same, but they're not perfectly exact. There's character difference, behavioral differences of that person for whatever that discrepancy is. So when they show it through actual deception a certain way, they'll show it the same way through fear. And that's why you have to be careful with what you're doing, who you're communicating, and how you're doing it. Again, flies with honey. Flies with honey will get you farther and much more accurate. And law enforcement, they got these issues big in law enforcement. Because part of what law enforcement investigators should realize is the fact that they're talking to anybody can instill fear, even if they don't see it. That should be presumed, not assumed, but presumed as reasonable. And go into it with rapport building techniques. You know, obviously there's situations you're not going to do that, but during an investigation, rapport building techniques flies with honey so that you can be for sure or better prepared to identify deceptive or truthful statements that have nothing to do with your authority position and fear you might be instilling upon them. Calm down people even when they don't think or you don't see that they need to be calmed down. Assume they're hiding it. And why not? I've seen a lot of cops that assume people are hiding everything, so why not hiding their own fear? So complacency and mistakes get made by these liars for all kinds of reasons. I mean, example we talked about, they just do the same one all the time. They get complacent with it. They lack the situational awareness. You know, they don't believe this person can tell that they're lying or they're not thinking about the other people around. They believe the lie themselves. They've got into it so much, they block everything out and don't listen to anything. They're not adaptive to that changing situation because they don't prepare for it. They don't rehearse. They don't practice. They have that failure. This is one of the biggest reasons for that immediate question during law enforcement investigations is to not only get the freshest thing on their mind, full well knowing that there's adrenaline there probably, there's reasons they're not going to remember everything, they could remember things later, but to make sure that because people aren't adaptive to change and they may or may not really be in shock and they may or may not be in exercising situational awareness is to ensure that they don't rehearse the story or change it, to get as much information now as possible to find out during that investigation through immediate questioning to ensure that there's no success from any type of lying because most people aren't going to be able to do it. They accept there's certain things that will change, that will make sense later, that will come up, but it's to ensure people aren't doing things like getting their story straight and rehearsing outcomes. Another thing that happens with people, especially the inexperienced or the emotionally mature, is they have this belief that anybody looking at them can see the lies. And it betrays their attempt to even lie. 
to the point that sometimes they'll start like, oh, that's a lie. Or they'll just, oh. They believe it so strongly, even the person didn't see it, they'll just have that reaction and kind of drop their head and go, oh, and just start over because they just believe anybody can see that they're lying. Sometimes that comes from that idea of somebody communicating to them, I can always tell you're lying. And of course, looking at all these different indicators, not having any of these experience or not having any prior success. Prior success too betrays them because, first of all, if you've never done it before, you've never done that lie before, that situation, that person, you have no prior experience or success in that situation. But people think, some people overestimate, I've lied 10 different people for 10 different reasons, 10 different ways, 10 different times in my life, and they've worked. So they just believe the next time they have to create something is going to work, that betrays them. The other thing is a person has a lie, they prepare it, they rehearse, they go through all these steps, but they get portrayed in this process because they believe, I have no experience in success in this. Well, yeah, because you haven't done it yet, but they forget how much they prepared and rehearsed it and gone through exercises, whatever they've done, assuming they've gone that far. And I saw this in some training stuff I did with people had to be deceptive, had to learn how to lie and tell these stories correctly because they had no prior success. They'd gone through world-class training. They'd done rehearsals. They'd done exercises. They knew all this stuff, but because they have no prior success, they just didn't believe they could do it and betrayed themselves. Didn't even have to get caught by anybody. They would just, oh man, oh, I screwed up. They just stopped themselves. They wouldn't keep going. And it's because they psyched themselves out, essentially. Betrayed themselves in their thoughts. So bad liars aren't too hard to find. A lot of these things you've probably seen out there. Just remember, it's like everything comes in clusters. Deception comes in clusters. Everything can be read in clusters. A lot of these things, though, are not too difficult to find in telling stories. And just like storytelling before that I've talked about, this is just more expansive of the subject. People tend to spend way too much time in that prologue explaining everything that led up to the answer they should be giving, and that's really small, and they don't have much to say about it later, and tends to be very chronological, very straightforward. Here's how I do it, A, B, and C. Whereas the truthful people tend to tell the story, sometimes bounce around a lot more, and don't spend a lot of time on the things that led up to it. They just focus on answering the question. They stick with the pronouns. Here's what I did. Whereas the deceptive person's like, well, you know, this is how I do things. It's not the same as how you did it. So bad liars, not hard to find. And more importantly, if you're trying to be a bad liar or a good one, Take a look at some of the ways you phrase things, because you never know. Whoever you're trying to lie to, they might be listening to this podcast too.